but if we could, just for a moment, if we could just have our eyes closed, heads bowed, and just enter into a spirit of prayer. And if you don't know what prayer is, it's just our way of communicating with God. And just right there in your seat, in the quietness of this moment, I'll be quiet in a second. But just in your head, just say, God, only do this if you mean it. Don't, don't, don't do it just to please me, but say, God, whatever he's going to speak on tonight, I pray my heart would be open to hear it and respond correctly to it. Lord, we thank you for the good day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have now to come before this chapel. Lord, I know there's a lot of other great things planned after this. But Lord, I truly believe that the heart of the Mendozas, that the heart of Camp Loma de Vida, and that my heart tonight understands that what's about to take place is the most important thing that's going to take place tonight. And so Lord, I pray that as we look into your word that you'd help us understand, that you'd help me communicate it clearly, and that you'd help those that are listening to not just be challenged by it, but Lord, would you change us through it? Would you change us with it? through your power and for your glory. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 18, did you find it? If you've got your Bible, I think they're going to throw it up on the screen for me as well. But Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 21 is where I want to pick up the story. It says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times 7. So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, comes to the Lord with a question about forgiveness. He says, Lord, how oft shall I sin against my brother and, he, and, and I forgive him? Seven times. And Jesus' answer blows Peter out of the water. I sin unto you seven times, but until 70 times 7. My wife is an avid reader. She, uh, she enjoys reading. She's never in a season where she's not reading. In fact, uh, her goal this year was to read 52 books in a year. Um, that's one book a week, if you know how to do math. And um, I was like, um, great, you know? Like, I've got big aspirations, too, this year. I want to watch everything available on Netflix. <laughs> that's what I want to do this summer, you know? And uh, she said, I want to read 52 books in a year. So... February came, right? And we had our baby, Logan, and uh, I said, hey, how's it coming? She's read, I've read 42 books already. I was like, you only have 10 left? How's that even possible, right? You know, like, I can't even compute how that works, you know? And uh, when we used to travel, we used to travel um, 42 weeks out of the year, traveling uh, for a college that we both graduated from, and she'd read uh, seasons of books. She'd read all the books she could on, you know, parenting and then she'd read all the books she possibly could find on this subject and one of the subjects she was on one of these these trips was uh was organization she was on this organizational kick where she wanted to simplify everything and just have everything organized and everything in place and when you're driving long distances like we were doing at that time you're doing anything to just make conversation and stay awake you know it's so like, well, I wasn't really interested in organization. I was interested in not crashing the car, you know? And so I was like, hey, what, what book are you reading, you know? And she began to explain to me that this new book she had just started was called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. You heard about this? It's, it's become a recent Netflix special, so I guess it's on my to-watch list this, uh, this summer. But uh, it's uh, by this, uh, this lady, uh, M- Maria Kondo, I believe her name is, and... Uh, and uh, it's, uh, the subtitle is The Japanese Secret to Decluttering and Reorganizing. Okay, well, I looked up the word decluttering, and it's not actually a word, so she's wrong there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, the, the subject of the book, the life-changing magic, right? Eh, I'm not into wizards, all right? So this is not something that I'm like, this is not up my alley, right? Like uh, tidying up. Not my favorite thing in the world, all right? Let's just say cabin inspections, I'd fail them every time, right? I mean, just, I'm not a, not a very clean guy, not a very, uh, you know, organized guy. And my wife is reading this book about how to organize and simplify everything. And I was like, well, how is it? She's like, oh, Eric, it's amazing. And I was like, 
great, tell me about it, you know, like, I'm so interested, you know, and uh, she begins to tell me that, um, that, that this book can be life-changing. I was like, well, it's in the title, so it better be, you know, and she's, she's going through, and I'm, I'm like, uh, okay, well, what is it? What is the secret, right, to decluttering and reorganizing? What's the, ja- what, what is the magic potion to tidying up, you know, like, what, what is it? What's the secret? Just, just give me the spark notes, you know? And she said, well, let me just read you this statement. And she opened up the book, and she read this from the book. The key to cleaning out your closet is knowing exactly what you want to keep and then getting rid of everything else. I thought, how much did we pay for this book, right? Like, you're pay- we paid someone to tell us that? Like, that seems obvious, right? Keep what you want, get rid of what you don't, right? Like, that's pretty much what cleaning is. And she says, well, there's more to it than that. She says, how do you decide what you want to keep? I said, I don't know. Enlighten me. She says, well, according to the book, you're supposed to take every item in your closet, and you're supposed to hold it up, and you're supposed to ask it, does this spark joy? And if the answer is yes, you keep it. If it's not, you throw it away. Well, I couldn't help but laugh because there's nothing in my closet that I think I could hold up and be like, yes, you spark so much joy. <laughs> like I just imagine myself holding up my socks, you know. Oh, yes, you bring happy, happy thoughts. And it went deeper. It was like you're supposed to touch the fabric and appreciate what it does for you. you know. Thank you for covering my back. <laughs> uh, wow. So glad I'm not the maniac of Gadara. <laughs> I have clothes. You spark joy. And as comical as that seems, and as simple as it seems, that yeah, if you don't like something, you should get rid of it, and if you do like something, you should keep it, I couldn't help but start to wonder about how much we oftentimes hold on to things in our own lives that don't spark joy and that don't make us happy. We like to hold on to emotions such as hurts, and defenses. We, we become attached to things like anger and resentment and bitterness. We store them up in the closets of our heart, even though they don't spark joy, even though they rob us of our peace, and yet we just can't let them go. But we refuse to remove them from our lives. We, we refuse to let them out, we refuse to let them go. And I come to you tonight, to the, to tonight, and I tell you, it's time to clean out the closet. Paul told the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 and verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know what Paul was saying? He's like, look, it's time to let go of the bitterness. It's time to let go of the wrath that bitterness ensues and the anger that you festered up over this offense and this hurt. It's time to take the evil speaking that you've done about this person that's hurt you. And it's time you throw it out of your closet because it doesn't spark joy in your life. It's not adding value to you. You need to get it out of your Life, clean out the closet of your heart. And here in Matthew chapter number 18, Peter comes to the Lord with a question about forgiveness. And really, it's a good question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he trespasses against me? In other words, he's saying, how many times Do I have to forgive someone when they hurt me until I'm allowed to hold on to the hurt? And he even gives an answer. And and honestly, Peter probably thought he was being generous with his answer. He says, um, till seven times? 
In other words, uh, I have to forgive him seven times and then I'm allowed to hold on to the hurt. Then I'm allowed to get bitter and angry about it. Now, where did Peter get that number? Because most Jewish rabbis taught that you were to forgive someone no more than three times. That if they hurt you the first time, you, you were to forgive them outright. The second time, forgive them with limits. The third time, you were to forgive them completely. And if they were hurt you again, you were under no circumstances supposed to forgive them, but rather separate them from your life. Jesus taught something different, though. And Peter, being a follower of Christ, probably would have heard that sermon. In Luke 17, in verse number 3, Jesus says, Take heed of yourselves. If thy brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Yea, I say unto you, if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day say, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Okay. Uh, let's say that I walked into the auditorium this morning and uh, I stumbled on a conversation that Brother John and Brother Jason were having. And let's say they were talking about how, how much of a terrible person I am. And they were like, hey, that Eric guy, that was a mistake to bring him down here. I mean, he just, he's terrible. I mean, I don't, know what, I don't know what we were thinking. And let's just say I was like, hey, guys, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, oh, man, I'm sorry. Uh, we didn't mean that. That was, that was a mistake. Sorry. Hey, it's all right. No problem. I'm supposed to forgive them. And let's say I go and get some breakfast and come in as they're having a conversation about how to set up chapel. And I hear them say, I don't even know why we're doing this. That, that Eric guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, wait, what a second. Wait, I thought we just dealt with this, guys. What's going on here? Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was an accident. Let it slip out. Forgive me. Oh, yeah. No problem. And let's say after chapel, as I'm headed out for lunch, I hear John talking to his wife. Yeah, that Eric guy. I mean, he's just still terrible. I mean, I mean, I mean how many of you would think that after a while, I'd start to wonder if John was really sorry? Yeah. And Jesus says, if seven times in a day you find someone doing something to harm you, you're to forgive them every time. Wow. That's a tough truth to swallow, right? But I love Peter. He comes to the Lord and he says, so what about the eighth time? Right? Like the eighth time I'm allowed to hold on to the hurt. The eighth time am I allowed to get bitter. The eighth time am I allowed to get angry. The eighth time am I finally able to react and get back at them. The eighth time. What about the eighth time? And Jesus answers Peter's question in a way that basically says, no, Peter, you've completely missed the boat. Look at what he says. Verse number 22. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. Um, you can do the math. That's uh, 490 times. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was telling Peter, no, Peter, you actually still have 483 to go. No, I think what, Peter, what Jesus was trying to get across to Peter was that, no, 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 Peter, you're never allowed to hold on to the hurt. No, 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 you're always supposed to forgive. No, 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 you're never allowed to let bitterness root in. No, 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 no. You always offer forgiveness every time. No matter how bad they hurt you, no matter how many times they hurt you, no matter what they've done, you always offer forgiveness. Now look, Peter's mind would have instantly thought, just as your mind is thinking right now, I don't think I can do that. Uh, we'll say things like, you don't understand. They ruined my life. Like, you don't understand. I can't even, I can't even think about what they've done without, without 
getting angry and just wanting to hit something. Like, like Eric, you, you don't understand the, the, the pain that they've caused or, or the trauma that I've had to go through or, or the therapy that I've had to work out because of what this person said or what this person did. Or, or You don't understand exactly what they did. Let me tell you my story before you tell me I have to forgive them. And, and let me do this. And, le- and let me say this. And look, the truth is this evening, I know that I don't know your hurts. I know that I do not know how bad they hurt you. I I don't claim to understand the depth of betrayal nor the degree of pain that has been done unto you. I don't understand the nightmares that keep you up at night. But I do know what God says in his word. He says, my grace is greater than any harm that's been done to you. My grace is greater Now, I imagine Peter's face when Jesus said 70 times 7 was like, you crazy. And so Jesus is going to use something to help Peter understand this principle. He's going to tell a parable. Now, if you were in the guy session, you know this. If you were a girl, you weren't in the guy session. If you were, that's a problem. But a parable is a short story with a big idea. It is a heavenly story. It's, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a simple story, in this case, that helps us understand a complex truth. And I want to look at this parable this evening because the parable that Jesus uses here to conclude Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter number 18 reveals to us just how important forgiveness is to God but also how important forgiveness is for us. So would you notice three parts of this parable that help us understand the importance of forgiveness? First of all, I want you to understand there's an accounted debt. There's an accounted debt. Let's look at the story here in verse number 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Okay, so we're immediately introduced to this kingdom, and this, more importantly, CEO-type king of this kingdom, right? We're introduced to this guy that owes a lot of money, that, 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 that has a lot of money, and owns a lot of property, right? And one day, he decides it's time to collect the debts. So he pulls out his book that he's been keeping careful record of. He's been keeping the names and the amount owed of each of his servants, And I'm guessing near the top of the list was this guy who owed 10,000 talents. Not about you, but that sounds like a lot of money, right? 10,000 talents. In fact, I don't think I understood how much money this actually was. Um, One talent, one talent. Now, it's hard to run currency through from biblical days to our days because things don't calculate exact. But 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 the best estimates have one talent at $26,000. That's one talent. This is 10,000 talents. Okay, this guy owes $260 million. Okay, that's an astronomical number. In fact, it's about 10 times the national budget of Jesus' day. Okay, when Jesus said this, his disciples would have started laughing because there's no king that would ever lend this amount of money out and there's no person that would ever need this kind of money. But this is the story he tells about the servant that owes 10,000 talents. And look, he ain't paying it. He has nothing to pay. And he calls him forth and he says, hey, um, time to pay up. And the Bible says that as for as much as he had not to pay, The king commanded that he be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had, that he would grab the money that he could make off of them in order to recoup some of the money. Look, we might not understand this part of the parable very well, but let's translate it to what it actually means for us because clearly this part of the parable is meant to establish our position when it comes to God. We all 
have an accounted debt because of our sin. Look, the truth is, we've all wronged God. And the truth is, God has been keeping track of everything. God doesn't miss a thing. He's been keeping careful watch over us. The reality is we will all one day stand before God and a book will be opened and our lives will be judged. For Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12 say, says, so that every one of us shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. And the Bible says that God's been keeping such a careful track that Matthew says that every idle word which man shall speak, he shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Meaning that every word you've ever mumbled under your breath has been kept track of. Every, every thought you've ever had has been brought into captivity and has been kept account of. God hasn't missed a thing. He sees all, knows all. There's nothing you can hide from him. And the sobering reality this evening is that apart from Jesus, we all are in deep, deep debt to God because of our sin. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. The Bible says, behold, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. He sees it all. He sees all, knows all, keeps account of all. And that sin has a payment. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God here on this earth and one day for all of eternity. I don't know if you remember from last night, but let's see if you do. Psalms 14, verse number one. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men and saw that there was not any that did good and seek God. But they are all gone out of the way. They are all going to become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not a soul. Not a soul has lived on this earth and, and, and kept the law to the fullest. Every single one of us has wronged God and God's seen it all. He's been keeping careful watch. Look, that means that, um, that, means that the teacher may never find out about the test you cheated on, but God already knows about it. That means that, um, that, that your parents may never know what websites you visit but God knows every site you've ever clicked on. That means that, um, that, that, means that uh, your counselor might never find out about the stuff you said about them this afternoon, but God's already got it written in his book. Uh, your parents may never see the text you sent, but God has it saved in his book. The wife may never find out about the flirting that takes place at work, but God knows about it. God knows about every, 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 every sin. And the truth is, we can try to uh, soundproof our houses so the neighbors don't hear us scream at each other, but God already hears our words. God knows our anger. God knows our sin. He sees it all. He sees it all. God even knows about the pride in some of your hearts right now because I haven't said something that applies to you. You're like, well, no, no I haven't done that. No text messages I'm afraid of. Uh, no websites I've visited. Uh, nope, didn't say anything about, about the counselor. I'm perfect. No, you're not. You're a sinner and you're full of pride and God knows about it. God knows about every thing. There's nothing you can hide from him. We've all, we're all guilty before God. We've all wronged God in accounted debt. But then notice, secondly, an amazing declaration. Verse number 26 tells us that the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Okay, so the servant in the story comes in, and he doesn't deny the debt that he owes. He can't. It's overwhelming, right? He recognizes. He owes this deep, deep debt to this king. And he falls down in his face, and he worships him. 
In other words, he begged for his life. He starts kissing his feet, and he says, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. Um, that's not happening. Not happening. It would take this guy 400 lifetimes to pay back half of what he owed. No way it's happening. Not happening. As the king in that moment, he could have said, liar, add it to the account. But that's not what the king does. This man pleads for mercy. He pleads for grace. And he gives it. It says in verse number 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. The word loosed there means he freed. He released it. Uh, He forgave him the debt means outright got rid of it. Uh, Notice, he doesn't lower the interest payments. He doesn't extend the note. No, no, no. He tore it out of the book. He got rid of it. He forgave him the debt completely. $250 million, gone. It's all right. You've been forgiven. As significant as the debt was, the grace of the king was greater. Now look, if you're having a hard time understanding how this connects to us, Woo, I've got some good news for you. Because while we are all in deep, deep debt to God, I'm so thankful that some 2,000 years ago, a Savior named Jesus Christ stepped into our world to forgive my debt to God and forgive your debt to God. And I'm so thankful that He came down to this earth and He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that as God hung on that cross, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm thankful that as he shed his blood, that blood was used as a covering of my sin. He did for me what I could never, never earn or work my way towards. He did for me what I could not do for myself. He offered me grace, unmerited favor. He gave me mercy and he withheld the judgment that I deserved and he loosed me and he let me go free, free to walk in the grace of God, free to live, uh, live in accordance to the king. He gave me complete and utter forgiveness. Amazing grace. That's what I call that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was blind, but now I see. Was lost, but now I'm found. Grace. Amazing grace. I love that old hymn, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you might be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace received? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin an accounted debt where we see our sin for what it is but an amazing declaration where God loves us and accepts us regardless we've all heard the verse John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. I'm thankful for that verse. But sometimes I don't think we quite understand the depth of it. Because I tell you this evening, God loves the world. But I'll say this, for God so loved you. And when I read John 3.16, you know what I see? I see for God so loved Eric Paul Getch. That God sent his only begotten son. That if Eric Paul Getch would believe on him, then Eric Paul Getch would not perish, but that Eric Paul Getch would have everlasting life. And my friends, you put your, your name in the verse. God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. He shed his blood for you to cover your sin, to, to forgive your debt. He forgave you. God loves you. Let that sink in. The God who knows all, sees all, everything you've ever done, he's got written in the book. He knows you better than anybody else. He knows the secrets you hide, the biggest shame, the biggest mistake. He knows everything about you, and yet he loves you anyways. Come on. If that's not amazing, I don't know what is. We, we watch a movie and we walk out. That's amazing, man. Wow. That's an amazing movie. Did you see all the CGI that was in it? It was amazing. Wow. The plot thickens. That's amazing. No, no, no. There's only one thing that's amazing. And it's that God loves you. That's amazing. That's true awe taking your breath away. Amazing. That's amazing. An amazing declaration that in spite of your sin, God loves you, died on a cross for you, and wants to have a relationship with you. And my friends, you might feel like you have no friend in this world that would accept you for who you are, but my friends, Jesus does. And you might not feel like you can walk outside without makeup on and be loved, but you're wrong. Jesus does. And you might feel like you've got to put on a, a man's walk, and you've got to put on how cool you are, and you've got to show everybody with your quick little uh, quirky statements that you, can, that you can snap back and be sarcastic and be funny to feel like you fit in and accepted. But my friends, I'm telling you, you're wrong. Jesus loves you no matter how much of a dork you are, no matter how much of a genius you are, no matter what you wear or what you don't wear. God loves you just the same, and he wants to have a relationship with you that can change your life. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. An accounted debt, an amazing declaration. But sadly, that's not where the story ends. The story kind of takes a disturbing twist. And I want to close by, by talking about an atrocious display. Because look what happens in the story. In verse number 28, it says, But the same servant... He clarifies, this is the same guy. And just so we're clear, it's the same guy that was just forgiven $260 million. We're all on the same page? Same servant. Went out and found. You know what the word found there means? I mean, he searched him out. It means he pulled out his own book of debts. It means he intentionally went and found this guy. Didn't stumble into him at Walmart. He went to his house. He knocks on his door. He went, he found one, one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. The pence was the lowest form of monetary value in Jesus' day. Again, hard to run the, the currency through exactly, but it would be about 15 bucks, maybe 20. The highest I've seen someone estimate is 35 bucks. Been forgiven 260 million Goes out and finds a guy that owes him 25, 35 bucks. And look what he does. He laid hands on him. Now, this isn't like a, hey there, buddy. How you doing? So good. At, like, he didn't hug him. That's not what laying hands on is. No, in fact, what's the next verse say? 
Oh, he took him by the throat. Got it, got it. So that kind of laid hands on him. He laid hands on him. He takes him by the throat. He says, come into this dark alley over here where there's no witnesses. (laughs) Saying, pay me that thou owest. You better pay up, buddy. And look what happens. And his fellow servant fell at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. It's the exact same plea for grace that he gave at the foot of the king. Notice, this is important. It's the same plea for grace. He's being asked to give what he just received. We understand that? Same plea for grace. The only difference is that he's being asked to give it at a much lesser degree. Right? He's not being asked to give forgiveness for $250 million. He's being asked to forgive $35. So it's the same plea for grace, only to a much, much, much lesser extent. We understand? Look what happens. And he would not. He would not. He would not. He would not. Say it. He would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. An atrocious display. You know, I don't know about you, but I tend to have a justice for me, justice for you, mercy for me attitude about life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let me just explain it this way. Uh, I'm in traffic a lot. Oh, man. I hate traffic. I'm about, to real t- I'm about to reveal to you just how terrible of a person I am. All right? I talk to people that aren't in the same car as me. All right? Like, I, I talk to the people that don't know how to drive. And I talk loud enough that they should be able to hear me. All right? My wife, oftentimes, you can ask her. She'll say, who are you talking to? And she knows who I'm talking to, but she's just trying to get across the fact that they're not listening and they don't care, you know? But, like, one of the things that just really grinds my gear is, like, why do you have a blinker on your car if you're not going to use it? And, you know, if the speed limit says 65, why are you going 30? And, like, if there's not a car in front of you, why are you breaking? And like if you're in construction and the cones are coming in to close the left lane and you see 700 signs before you get there, left lane closed, merge now, why are you trying to speed around me? Merge n- now. No, it's a really hard word to read. N-O-W means now, you imbecile, <laughs> merge <laughs> behind me. And you know, I'm very quick to be like, where's the cop? Where is he? This guy just cut me off. Where is the cop? He's driving recklessly. But you know, if I ever get pulled over, it was an accident, man. I mean, if I, was, if I, if I ever get caught speeding, it's because, you know, I'm going to church. You know? Can't be late. Accident for me, habit for you. Mercy for me. Please, officer. Please, just give me a warning this time. Mercy for me. Go get that guy. Justice for him. Every single time, justice for him. I am very good at pointing my finger at other people's faults. 
Yeah, I'm looking at you, buddy. You know what I'm talking about. I hope you do, because I don't. (laughs) You got a problem, you got a problem, you got a problem. But you know, instead of pointing my fingers at other people's faults, you know what I should be doing? Raising my hand. Yeah, I struggle with that too. I'm very quick, you know, child temper tantrum in the store, you know. She calls herself a parent. (laughs) Can't even control her kid. But if my kid's screaming, (laughs) he's just a terrible kid, all right? (laughs) No, no, no. You know what I've learned to do? Child scream on the ground, I don't want Cheerios. I want Lucky Charms. I tend to go over to that family and say, I've been there. <laughs> been there. You know how we won that battle? We bought Lucky Charms. <laughs> how do you think we won that battle? And I used to get to the point where like, I'd find out about someone's sin and it would make me angry and I'd say, oh man, that person's ridiculous. That person's a sinner. That, per- that person doesn't need to be where they're at and how come they do all this and how come, how come it seems like they always get forgiven? But you know what I've learned to do? Just say, oh, I've been there. Oh yeah, I've got that problem. Pride. Bitterness. Sin. I got a debt just like he does. We're quick to point the finger, but we're not so quick at extending grace. Oh, we love to get grace, but we don't quite love to give it to others. And so as I'm reading this story, and I hear about this guy who's been forgiven more than than he ever could pay back, and I hear him go out into the street and find someone that owes him 35 bucks and take him by the neck and not refuse, 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 refuse to forgive him. My heart goes, this guy better get what he deserves. Like, this guy better get what he deserves, right? It reads like an old Western, you know? We're just like, this guy better get some comeuppance, right? Like, he better get what is coming to him. And so, man, I'm intrigued. I'm reading the story. It says he would not, but he went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what was done. Oh, yeah, you mark it down. You refuse to give grace. Other people notice. And they were very sorry, came and told their Lord all that was done. Yes, the king found out what's going to happen. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, Oh, thou wicked servant. Oh, can't you just picture that scene? Here's the guy being brought back in. Last time he was there, such a happy moment. He's leaving, jumping for joy. I'm forgiven the death. This is fantastic. Comes back in. It's like a different king's on the throne, man. His eyes have turned red. Smoke is flaring out of his ears. He says, oh, thou wicked servant. He's striking the fear of God into this guy's heart, right? He says, I forgave you all that debt because thou desirest me. Those are the facts, buddy. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? Yup, you should have, but you didn't. What's going to happen now? And he goes on, he says, the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Well, that's going to take forever. He's going to be in that prison the rest of his life. And you read that and you're like, yes, justice has been served. Woo! He got what he deserved. Yes! Next verse. So likewise. I didn't say anything. So likewise. You ever have that moment? You say something, you instantly regret it. When's the baby do? What baby? (laughs) 
So likewise. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Look, Jesus makes it clear. You are not allowed to receive God's grace and then refuse to give it to others. You are not allowed to, re- to receive God's grace and then refuse to give it to others. If God has forgiven your sins, you can't continue to keep keeping track of the sins of others. That's not how grace works. If you decide to hold on to the bitterness, your hurt will become hatred and it will poison you and the infection will spread. And so instead of holding on to the bitterness this evening, instead of holding on to what's been done to you, may you hold it up, realize it doesn't spark joy and get it out of your life. Look, I realize that it's not simple. I realize that person hurt you. I realize what they did can't necessarily be forgiven with a phone call. I realize that that just saying I'm sorry or or that just saying I'm sorry doesn't quite cut it. I realize that that that, that, that person owes you something. Maybe they owe you a childhood or or maybe they owe you just a redo on life or maybe they owe, owe, owe you something mentally or physically or emotionally that can't be given back. Maybe they owe you some money that you, uh, that, 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 you really need and I know that it's not fair but I tell you this it's not fair it's grace and you will never be asked to give more of it than you've already received from God that's what we're learning in this in this parable that the grace you have received is greater than the grace you are being asked to give Jesus says in Mark 12 and verse 23 that when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father, which also is in heaven, may forgive you. Colossians 3, 13 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgiven you, so also do ye. As Christ has forgiven you, you go forgive somebody else. One writer put it this way. He said, the litmus test for the reality of the grace you have received from God is the extent you are willing to give grace to the person who hurt you the most and deserves it the least. In other words, if you've really received God's grace, you'll forgive anybody no matter how bad they hurt you. Because you'll realize they're just a sinner like me. They just need God's forgiveness like I do. My friends, I got news for you. God has forgiven them just like he forgave you. He died on the cross for them just as much as he died on the cross for you. He loves them as much as he loves you. I realize that forgiveness and bitterness are tough subjects to talk about. And so I'm not saying you have to forgive tonight, but I just want to make sure you're well aware of what's going to happen if you don't. Because if you don't, clo- if you don't clean out the closet, if you, if you decide that you want to let that root of bitterness keep growing, and you're going to keep trying to hurt them as much as they hurt you and make them pay back everything that they owe you, but, but ultimately, who's the one paying for it? You are. You are. You're going to pay the price for your unwillingness to forgive. Hebrews, uh, Proverbs eleven seventeen says, The merciful man doeth well to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. When you refuse to forgive and you refuse to let that person go, and and you hold that person into the prison of your heart, that prison of bitterness, you're the one paying for it. One person said this, bitterness is the poison we drank, hoping it kills somebody else. You're the one whose stomach hurts. You're the one who can't sleep at night. You're the one whose relationships are being infected 
by these emotions. You're the one whose closet and life is a wreck. When are you going to decide? It's time to get rid of this stuff. It's time to let that person go. It's time to move on. It's, it's time to get past it. It's time to offer grace like God has offered me. It's time to let go of the hurt and forgive the pain and release the debt. It's time to clean out my closet. Stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about what God's done for you. Because what God has done for you is far greater than anything anyone has ever done to you. And the moment, the moment those thoughts of bitterness and anger start to trigger you, intentionally turn your mind to Calvary. Intentionally turn your mind to what God has done for you. This evening, you can either decide to be a grace giver or a fault finder. You can decide to be a fault finder or a grace giver. And that decision, that decision is going to control your destination. That decision is going to have the ability to change the course of your life. A bitterness, bitter old man, bitter old lady, angry at the world because of something that was done to them or someone who is experiencing the grace of God to its fullest because they've given that grace to somebody else. If you're not saved tonight, maybe you're new to this whole church service thing and you struggle to even sit through and listen to me. If you're new to this whole thing and, and you find yourself in a position where you're just like, that seems really hard to believe. Then can I just tell you, everything I've said tonight is true. Jesus does love you in spite of your failure. In spite of who you are, he died for you. You say, I'm not good enough. Exactly. I don't deserve it. Yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't ever pay him back. He knows. So why would he do it? Because he loves you. Because he created you. He designed you with a purpose, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And if you're sitting here going, that sounds way too good to be true, I got news for you. It is too good to be true, and it's still true. And so this evening, while it may be really awkward for a piano to play with everybody having their heads bowed, not looking around, don't sit through the awkwardness, all right? Just get up and go talk to somebody about this great news that's way too good to be true, but is true. And maybe you're in this room and you're sitting there going, yeah, I know it's true. I know God's forgiven me for my sin. And I think it's time I let go of the bitterness. I think it's time I forgive somebody else's sin that they've done to me. I want to challenge you. You're going to need some accountability. You're going to need some help. I promise you, the workers here at Camp Loma de Vida, they are equipped to help you through God's word. Through any situation. Through any hurt that you may have. God's grace is greater. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? if he trespass against me. Seven times? No, Peter. Seventy times seven. Grace is always greater. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity tonight to gather together. Lord, I know we got a lot of other stuff to get to tonight, but Lord, I truly believe that right now in the quietness of this moment as we approach you in prayer, this is what matters. Lord, I said at the beginning that what we're going to speak on tonight has the ability to be life-changing. 
Lord, I pray that some debts would be released tonight. Whether it's a sin debt that is owed to you, Lord, would they recognize the blood of Jesus Christ forgives their sin, that they, have a rela- that they can have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that for those of us that have been saved, that have experienced the grace of God, but we've been holding on to these hearts, this bitterness, this anger, and it's made us a person that, that no one wants to be around. It's made us someone that, that is sick of our own selves. Lord, I pray that, that they tonight would realize, as I did as a sophomore in college, that the bitterness that I had been holding on to was destroying my passion for life, was destroying my thoughts, was destroying every other action, every other sin I was struggling with, went back to the fact that I was bitter at this person. Lord, I pray that tonight they would find the freedom of forgiveness. That maybe a phone call would be made. Or maybe just in their heart, a debt would be released. That Lord would free them to live. That would free them to experience joy. That would would free them to laugh like they they haven't laughed in years. Lord, I pray that tonight we would understand your love, that we'd understand your grace, that it is unending, that it is unlimited, and that, Lord, it is for everyone, me and my biggest enemy, me and the person that hurt me the most, me you fill in the blank. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Perhaps last night you raised your hand and said, man, Eric, I'm not saved. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Perhaps tonight you sit and you still don't know. You're still unsure of your salvation. But you know you're a sinner. You heard tonight about the grace of God. And perhaps you say, Eric, that's a story that sounds way too good to be true. I'd like to know some more about it. And I'd like to trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Can you just lift your hand? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to see where you're at in the room. Say, I'm not saved. But that grace, I see these hands. Good, I'm praying for you. That, that grace that Jesus offers me, I want that. I want that. I see these hands. Look, if your hand's raised right now, would you just stand and go to the back? Just stand right, right, right now, right where you're at. Stand, go to the back. There's someone that's going to meet you with a, with a Bible. And they're going to show you the love of God that he has for you. That, that it's not too good to be true. It is true. Anybody else? Anybody else? Saw a couple hands up here. Good. There's one more that's gone. You're not alone tonight. You're not saved. You, you don't know about the grace of God. Would you go to the back? There's, there's, there's someone that would, that would love to talk to you about an amazing declaration. You have been forgiven because God loves you. you. Look, you can continue to do that. If you're not saved and you want to go to the back, just anytime when I'm talking, you get up and you go to the back. But perhaps you're in this room and you say, Eric, without going into too much detail, there's someone that's hurt me. There's someone that I need to forgive tonight, that I've been refusing to forgive. There's someone that's been robbing my joy, robbing my peace. And Eric, tonight, I want to let go of the hurt. Tonight, I want to get rid of the bitterness. Tonight, I want to extend the grace that God has given to me. If that's you, can I see your hand? your hand say Eric I'm, I've been bitter and I need to get right I get right if your hands raised let's all stand to our feet at this moment everybody stands to their feet and as I say a word of prayer for these that had their hands raised if you had your hand raised go to the back go go, go talk to somebody if you don't feel comfortable with talking to somebody you can come up here and pray at an altar but I'm telling you in this journey of forgiveness you're gonna need help you're gonna need some help you're, you're gonna need some wisdom that you don't have and that's okay that you don't have it. God has it. And these counselors, they, they just want to show you the wisdom of God from God's word. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to pray. If you've got someone to forgive tonight, you've got some bitterness to let go of, go talk to somebody. Come to the front. If you need to be saved, man, go talk to somebody. Go discover a God who loves you in spite of you. Lord, we thank you tonight again for the many decisions countless hands that were raised. But Lord, I pray that decisions would be made. 
that would be life-changing. Whether someone tonight gets saved or whether someone tonight lets go of a hurt, lets go of something that they've been holding on to for far too long, I pray that tonight lives would be changed because, Lord, you're a, you're a life-changing God. Lord, your grace is amazing. I pray that your grace would do what it only can do. Would it heal hearts? Would it forgive sins? Lord, would it help change us into the image of God? May, may you help us lay aside all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. May we put it away from us and may we be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another in the Lord, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. May we clean out the closet, Lord. Brother Mendoza.